I don't have to wait for somebody to follow. Maybe like I need to just step up and fill that, fill that spot and, and use my voice in the best possible way that I could. Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood. And here we are in mid-August 2021, which means we've just launched the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest 2021 just over a week ago. And hopefully you've caught the news and you've seen just how much this campaign this year is bigger and better than ever before, even though it is only our second year. The total cash prize pool this year is up to $150,000, including $50,000 for the overall PitchFest winner. There's another $150,000 worth of product and support from OIO and our partners. And of course, there's the new addition this year, the HP Generation Impact Incubator, a special new program designed to support 35 and under Australian residing innovators on a mission to improve the health of planet ocean. So there really is so much on offer this year. Go to the website, check out all the divisions and make sure you get your applications in. Applications close on the 21st of September, but you have to do two steps. You've got to get your written form in as soon as possible. You'll then get notified to start working on your up to three minute pitch video. So I cannot stress this enough folks, Get your written application in soon. You can apply to PitchFest 2021 from anywhere in the world. It's only the Generation Impact Incubator where you need to be residing here in Australia. And if you've got some questions about the programs this year, we're actually going to be releasing next week on the podcast a conversation with myself and my co-founder Nick Shirelli that we recorded on our Instagram Live. So if you're impatient, you can go to Instagram Live at Ocean Impact Org and listen to the interview where we answer a lot of your different questions. Now, on to the podcast this week. We took a break last week, which was because that was the launch of PitchFest, but we are back with a brilliant conversation with Belinda Bags, who is the co-founder of Surfers for Climate, an old friend of mine, a huge ally in all things ocean conservation. She describes herself as a surfer, a mother, and an ocean lover, and my gosh, is she that. She's a global sports activist with Patagonia, and she is adding her weight to so many important campaigns at the moment. Notably, in the area where I live and OIO is based is the Stop PEP 11 campaign. This is a proposed natural gas um, reserve off the coast of Australia on the east coast between Newcastle and Sydney. This entire stretch of the east coast of Australia so far doesn't have any offshore petroleum projects, but they want this to be the first and we are deeply concerned about the impact it will have on the area, on natural wildlife, on the migration route of very important marine creatures, and of course the precedent it will set for other areas. She was also, Belinda, out protesting in Victoria just this last weekend, talking about what's happening off the coast of King Island where they have just commenced seismic blasting to look for natural gas and other petroleum reserves down there. And we don't have to look very far into the scientific literature to see the devastating impact that seismic blasting has on innocent creatures and not the way not to mention the way it can affect 
livelihoods around certain marine industries. So we've got a real problem on our hands, folks. The petroleum companies out there are still looking at ways to dig up uh, our nation, uh, our reserves, as they are all around the world to fuel our insatiable appetite for petroleum. A lot of it ends up as plastic, a lot of it ends up as energy, right when we need a shift away from fossil fuels. The IPCC report that was released only a week ago was another confounding piece of evidence at how dire and diabolical the state is headed towards, the trajectory that we are on, so we simply have to act. Hopefully, I have your support when I say things like that. So this conversation with Belinda is really all about how one incredible surfer, one beautiful human can take it upon herself to say, the ocean, yes, it will always be my playground and my special place, but it will also be the reason why I surf for climate action and for all sorts of other environmental justice causes. So I thank you, Belinda, for all that you do, for your friendship and for the incredible way you bring others into the journey towards ocean conservation. I've chatted for five minutes. I should probably wrap it up and let you get on to this week's episode of the Ocean Impact Podcast. And there she is. Hello, Belinda. Hi, how are you going, Tim? <laughs> I'm so good. It's always great when the technology works, isn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> it works, yay. <laughs> right on cue. We had a little brief call before just to make sure we knew what buttons to press so we uh, can give ourselves a little high five. Yes, <laughs> I can stop sweating now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was just actually telling everyone there that you would be tuning in from uh, the southern coastline of Australia down in, in Victoria. So um, why don't we start the conversation there and tell us a little bit about where you are tuning in from today and a little bit of part, about that part of the world and, and what it means to you. Sure. Um, so I'm calling in now from Wadarung country, which is also known as Victoria's Surf Coast. It's such a beautiful and spectacular area. Um, I grew up in Newcastle, but I moved here probably almost a decade ago now. Um, I was drawn here for, I guess, a, a multiple array of reasons, which started with Patagonia um, is based in Torquay. So um, I work for Patagonia for anybody who doesn't know. So that was very convenient. Um, I also had quite a few friends down here who I'd often come and visit and say, oh, can I sleep on your couch for, you know, two weeks or a week and end up staying two months. So I think eventually I was like, all right, I've been couch surfing long enough um, and I need to, to establish some roots here. The surf was probably the biggest draw card for me other than work and friends. Um, I love the fact that there's such a huge variety of waves down here like on any given day I can be out on my longboard um, and then you know go around the corner 20-30 minutes up the co uh, down the coast and and um, be scared out of my wits so <laughs> it's just such a good combination of surf here. 
So good. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, surfing and your incredible prowess and achievements there in a moment. But uh, yeah, for those people joining in for the first time who uh, you know haven't heard about Belinda Bag before, she is, of course, a surfer, mother, ocean lover. She's a global sports activist with Patagonia. And she's also the co-founder of Surface for Climate. So we're going to do our best to talk about a whole bunch of really cool stuff today. Um, yeah, so very important to acknowledge as well that I'm certainly today tuning in from Garingai country up on the northern beaches of Sydney and to pay my deep respects to elders past, present and emerging and, uh, and also acknowledge that sovereignty was never, never ceded on this land. So Belinda, um, tell us a little bit about you know, surfing for you. You mentioned before you grew up in Newcastle. You've obviously achieved a huge amount through your surfing skills and now in life, these great um, achievements as, as an activist and communicator. But tell us a little bit about surfing. Where did it all start for you and how did your journey into it um, begin and, and where did it take you? Oh, well, it's a very long story because <laughs> I remember <laughs> almost every wave that I've ever caught. <laughs> um, so my dad's a surfer, um, a very keen surfer. And so I grew up with that beach lifestyle deeply embedded into our everyday. Um, and I think just through that, it was a natural progression that I either became a professional sandcastle builder or I learned to surf. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the waves in Newcastle, I don't know um, if many of you listeners are there, Tim, you're familiar. It gets quite a bit of swell in comparison to a lot of other areas um, on that East coast and also has quite a horrendous shore break at times so I spent the beginning years of my childhood battling with that shore break and getting washed back in tossed and turned um, and continually waiting for those smaller days and so I could actually get out past it and and sort of like advance my surfing and, and try to actually ride some swells rather than just getting tossed around um, which I at the time would swear so much about but I'm so very thankful for now because it's kind of given me this deeper appreciation um, of I guess the power that the ocean possesses and also just a, a huge respect for anybody who succeeds at riding waves because the pursuit of doing so is so damn hard. Um, I also feel like I'm, you know, was very privileged to grow up with a father who surfs and surfs so well, um, you know, to have that to draw back upon, like I'm so cherished that I'm now a second generation surfer and have been able to draw upon all his wisdom of the ocean, everything from, you know, don't paddle out there, paddle out over here, watch the way the currents go um, to, you know, I often, even though my father's quite a um, performance orientated surfer, I often still see similarities in our surfing when I watch some video footage and, and stuff like that together. So just having that knowledge to draw upon has been just something that I, that I cherish and I'm so very thankful for. Um, when I finally accomplished getting out the back, <laughs> my goal, <laughs> my goal as, as a surfer has always been to be able to surf every day at your local condition. So, you know, I don't aspire to go and surf Jaws. I've had a couple of opportunities where I've been able to, to push my limits and test, you know, riding bigger waves. And I realized very quickly that it's something that I, I don't want to do. I'm way too scared in anything over like eight to 10 feet. 
Um, but but I really want to be able to surf the waves that, that your local beach produces on an everyday basis. And that kind of put me in a position where I started looking at different types of equipment because I never really felt like I excelled riding a shortboard, like a standard, you know, six foot or 5'11 thruster shortboard. Um, and so I started longboarding a lot, which was incredible. I learned how to ride a heavy single fin log, um, you know, pre 2000, which was kind of unheard of in Australia at the time. And I absolutely loved that. But as we all know, they don't work in every condition. So I've sort of just tried to vary my equipment um, and as much as I possibly can in order to, to, to ride waves um, on a daily basis. And that includes body surfing as well. So, you know, my favorite longboard right now, I've got a Nettleton 9.3 with like a single fin that I love surfing when it's, you know, under shoulder high. I have another Nettleton um, mid-length that I'm absolutely in love with and it makes my every session like so much better. It's a little 6.4 kind of mid-length egg um and I have an FCD that I sort of I guess you'd call it as a step up type board that I sort of push my boundaries on and if it's too big to surf on that then I won't be going out <laughs> and I body surf when it's too hollow so <laughs> you got all bases covered exactly exactly so when you started um realizing this attraction to, to longboarding and you mentioned those heavy glass single thing longboards um, tell us a little bit about that because that's obviously where you really uh, grow, you know, grew into someone very, very notable the world over and you featured in a huge amount of um, surfing films and campaigns and obviously got, you know, sponsorship along the way. So tell us a little bit about how that came into be your, you know, I suppose your dominant expression and the kind of opportunities that that, that created for you. Yeah, so... Um little diving backwards a little bit into surf history of the time of when I grew up, which, um, you know, I learned how to surf in the nineties predominantly. Um, everything in Australia was very performance orientated. So even longboards at the time were predominantly thrusters or the two plus one fin setup. Um, and the only exposure that I'd really had to that, you know, logging style of surfing was watching guys ride old mouths. So boards that were shaped, in the 60s um the first time I went to California which was such an amazing experience I went with a quiver of tri-thin high performance longboards um got to Malibu and was like my boards don't work oh my god <laughs> this is terrible and I was just mesmerized by watching all of the incredible surfers there riding heavy single fin logs which I hadn't really been exposed to in Australia yet except for I think Jimmy Gamboa may have done a trip out to Australia and Tom Wagner was was also like moving moving to Australia at the time so there was a little bit of influence but it wasn't something that I was kind of exposed to quite frequently um and I was watching Jimmy surf out of Malibu along alongside Dane Peterson, um, Carla Rowland, Cassia was out there, like a bunch of incredible surfers. And I was just seeing, seeing them nose ride through these sections and the expression on their faces after every ride was just, I couldn't explain it. It was like, I could just see something and that they were getting out of surfing that I wasn't experiencing. And so I spent the entire summer there riding a really old, 
um, single fin log shaped by Scott Anderson that had actually been pulled out of Dane, the bottom of Dane's um, house. It was covered in dust and dirt and crap, all delaminated, but it was like, that was my green machine and that was, I was going to learn to log on it and I was so determined just to be able to experience this sensation that I was watching all these amazing surfers experience and you know after about I don't know 300 dings later um lots of nose dives and poles I eventually did get to feel that sensation and it was better than I could have ever imagined um it just felt like gliding across across gliding across a section on the nose was like riding the updraft of the wave that you see the pelicans gliding along the surface, riding that updraft, um, just such a weightless, amazing feeling that I was hooked. And so I just started logging ever since. I buried myself in it for probably a good part of my 20s. I lived in Byron um, and in Noosa, kind of chasing that elusive nose riding wave. Um, I have some regrets at the time, which was probably selfishly choosing surfing over a lot of family occasions um which I've learned over the years that that probably wasn't an amazing thing to do um but at the same time all those surf sessions and and time in the water has provided me with just this deep deep appreciation for the ocean and nature yeah and we'll get to the outcomes of that deep appreciation very soon so when I was thinking back um, pre-podcast that when I first sort of met you, little did you, you didn't know me when I first met or at least saw you in person. I think it would have been maybe about festival, uh, Noosa Festival of Surfing. I'm guessing it was around 2004, 2003, maybe. I don't know if you can remember a year when you would have been there. Maybe you were there every year, but. Um, I was definitely there during those years. Yeah, so I would have been up there with um with my crew of wannabe loggers uh, from the Central Coast with Ryan Haywood and Kerry Down and Simon and we just were just absolutely in awe. I think that same year though, um, a whole crew that Ryan Haywood had kind of connected with the California crew came and stayed in the Central Coast for a while and it was just, we were loving it because we'd been uh, absolute devotees of Thomas Campbell's films, um, Seedling and, and Sprout the Present. And so to be there, see these uh, people like yourself and Dane ripping it up was just an absolutely mind-blowing experience. But when can you recall meeting me for the first time? I'm thinking it might have been around maybe the Fire and Surf Festival or something a bit, quite I a few years later think, on. Yeah, I think it was definitely a couple of years later on. Um, I do vaguely remember meeting you with Ryan um, at one of those Noosa festivals uh, and then kind of learning more about Take Three um, and, and sort of learning more and more about the environment and, and then like looking at you as this higher power. Uh, and when we did <laughs> reconnect at the Byron Surf Festival, I was so nervous because I was meeting one of my heroes. <laughs> How funny is that? Life does some weird little twists and turns and dances, doesn't it? Here I yeah. am idolising you and your incredible, <laughs> you know, crew and you know, everyone surfing and then, um, yeah, it goes full circle. But let's talk a little bit about that then. So, yeah, Take Three for the Sea was really starting to hit its stride for a while there and, and we really made a, a lot of momentum and a name for ourselves in, I suppose, this alternative surfing community and that was in no part thanks to people like you joining as an ambassador and being an incredible advocate for us. So 
Yeah, what was it about Take Three for the Sea that, that impressed you and, and what were those early years like as an ambassador? Oh, so many things. Like, I think, um, like, as I mentioned earlier, growing up in Newcastle, I spent a lot of time on the beach watching Dad when it was too big for me to surf myself. And so I sort of, um, as a way to, to give back to the ocean and hope that I, I'd have more time in the water, like, if I collect all this plastic, maybe tomorrow it'll reward me by being three foot smaller and I can get out the back. So <laughs> I used to spend all my time in between watching dad picking up rubbish off the shore and I you know eventually came across yourself and take three and was so excited that you know there was now a movement created around this and something that I felt like I could be part of um which yeah I was just so thankful for it was incredible and and like meeting other people like yourself and learning more about not just you know picking rubbish up off the beach and throwing it in the bin. It was like, you know, the deeper research behind it, um, the greater impacts that it could obviously have on our marine life, but like studies, not just my own assumptions. So um, that was really incredible. And, and I think as well, like it was such a tangible action to ask surfers particularly to do was like, hey, just pick up three pieces of rubbish every time you leave the beach. It's like a no-brainer. Of course you're going to do that. Like why wouldn't we? We want to keep our oceans pristine. And so, yeah, it was just amazing to be working um, with you, learning from you, uh, and, of course, trying to just push the good cause of Take 3. So you mentioned there, obviously, you had this beautiful, innate qualities. And I remember being the same as a young surfer and going to the ocean and feeling that compulsion, that urge to remove these unsightly. And, you know, little did I know how dangerous they were. They were really just unsightly. They didn't belong there. But then I suppose looking at how you grew into becoming more of an advocate and, and using your voice, maybe we can just go on a little bit of a conversation tangent there around what that's been like for you because I think there's a lot of people out there who are you know maybe they're quite well progressed on their journey towards realizing the strength of their voice and becoming an advocate or an activist but um, maybe give us a little bit more into your journey what that was like strengthening your voice and what it felt like to see others responding to your activism. Um, for sure uh, firstly, I'd like to say that I'm completely socially awkward and very anxious. So learning to use my voice was not easy at all. Um, as I said, I've always looked up to people like yourself, um, Hugo at Surface Against Sewage over in the UK, uh, and really kind of aspired and, and I guess respected what you guys were doing more than anything else, but sort of thought, well, you know, this is what I want to do too. Like, this is my dream right here. Imagine being able to protect the ocean and that's what you do. Like, that's absolutely incredible. Um, and so I think just as my surfing advanced, um, I never like to say it, but I guess getting some type of profile behind me where people wanted to watch my surfing, you know, and maybe even interested about what I had to say from time to time, I was like, oh, great like instead of talking about just about myself let's use this opportunity to to plug the environment as well um and so yes I was definitely nervous at the start um speaking out on issues and kind of hoping that you know people were interested but at the same time always had this little like message in the back of my mind that was saying 
it doesn't matter if people are interested because you believe in these things and these are the things that are important to you. And so that was sort of a way that prompted me to overcome any anxieties or, you know, negative thoughts that I had on the issue was just knowing that, you know, if I didn't step up, who was going to? Like, you know, you kind of always, I was kind of always waiting for that one person that I could follow and obviously having such great role models like you leading the charge, um, realising that maybe I don't have to wait for somebody to follow. Maybe, like, I need to just step up and fill that, fill that spot and, and use my voice in the best possible way that I could. And so you started doing that and then is the sense that you just get a little bit more confident with each new experience and each new challenge and then that just gives you a a platform to to take it to the next level I think so I think it's definitely a combination of of getting more confident the more that you speak up and use your platform for good um also a matter of learning as I go um there's obviously so many different elements in when you you know you talk about the climate crisis or any environmental issues from picking up plastic off the beach to you know, trying to stop offshore fossil fuel developments or, you know, um, just an array of things that are kind of overwhelming at times. But the more you learn about stuff also, the more confident you become on speaking of them. Um, and I think I've also gotten older as the years have gone on. Well, not I think I have. I've definitely gotten older as the years have gone on and realised that our time on this planet is very limited and so I don't want to waste time beating around the bush. I want to talk about the things that matter and make as big of an impact and difference as I possibly can. I love that. And I'm sure there's uh, many people listening and tuning in around the world who feel the same way and particularly in, in younger generations. And I know obviously you're a, you're a mother and, you know, it's a huge motivator um, having having children, but also just looking and listening to younger generations and realising the sense of urgency that they have. Uh, it certainly fires me up and you know, I'm already doing a lot, but it makes me want to do more. Um, so, yeah, we might come back in a minute and talk a little bit about, you know, obviously there is consequences to this and using your voice and the, the negatives and that, you know, you do need to either have a thick skin or know how to dodge, dodge and duck certain um, criticisms and challenges that come your way. But I wanted to just quickly maybe talk a little bit more about sort of Patagonia um, as a brand, you know, this this role that you've been able to, to have now as a global sports activist. I mean, sounds really cool. Maybe you can tell us a little <laughs> bit about your role and, and Patagonia more broadly. Sure. Um, it is really cool. Um, and it also comes with explanation because most people are like, what does that even mean? I'm like, <laughs> to be completely honest, I still don't know, but I love it. <laughs> um, you know, we, we're all aware like Patagonia is a very extremely environmental conscious company. Uh, I've been an ambassador of theirs for you know, probably about 15 years now, which is quite some time. My journey there started testing wetsuits and surf products. Um, it was actually a contact uh, to the Malloys through Thomas Campbell, who they were at the time looking for a female who could test surf gear as Patagonia was starting to move into that, into that realm of making surf products. Um, and they're like, oh, we can't necessarily afford, like, you know, the top pro female surfer that's on the tour but we really just want somebody who spends a lot of time in the water and I think uh you know a couple of friends had said to them well 
nobody surfs more than Bindi. <laughs> so <laughs> if you want the products tested for longevity and endurance, then you should talk to Bindi. <laughs> so that was the start of my journey with Patagonia. Um, since then, you know, obviously stuck with the ambassador program. I've learned a lot from them about, you know, an array of things, environmental issues, water quality, um, and also really how the products that we wear affect the planet. Um, I worked with them for quite some time uh, doing social media. So I was sitting at an office and at a desk with the amazing marketing team and at the Patagonia Australia office in Torquay, learning as, you know, as much as I can and, and, and working their social media account, um, Instagram, Twitter, etc which was great, but um, definitely frustrating at times as everybody that I worked with knew that I loved to complain when the wind was offshore and the wind's offshore most of the time in winter in Victoria. <laughs> so um, eventually, you know, I think a combination of that and me spending the majority of my free time when I wasn't in the water working on their environmental campaigns as a passion project, um, they put two and two together and was like, all right, Bindi, like, We'd love to be able to provide you with a role where, you know, you your environmental activism and, and passion for the environment intersects with your surfing. Um, and so now I work with Patagonia on, you know, not just their environmental, um, their environmental campaigns, um, but also sort of allows me time to work on my own passion projects and things that they see being really important, but potentially something that, um, they can't cover as an actual business. So amazing, yeah. And we love them as a brand and all that they uh, enable and empower people like you, and also all those incredible organisations that receive grants, that receive support. We've been fortunate enough to have support from Patagonia. So yeah, just an incredible, incredible organisation. So speaking about some of those environmental campaigns that you know you really started to sink your teeth into and start to champion, um, what were they? And maybe this is a bit of a segue into some of the big ones that you've been involved with over the years. Yeah, um, I guess primarily um, I really dove in when they started working on the fight for the bite. Um, Patagonia was you know, part of a, a huge cohort of people and, and, a lot, and groups and businesses who were all working on that, obviously led by the Great Australian Bite Alliance um, and living in a, on, a, on a part of the coastline that was, you know, set to be affected if there was an oil spill. We all seen that disastrous oil spill modelling. Um, I thought, you know, I have to step up and do my bit. And so <laughs> um, was, yeah, working alongside, you know, amazing people on that on that issue um which was victory we kicked equinor out um a couple of other companies previously have given up their licenses to the zone santos just um abandoned their license so you know that's you know so far so good seems like we're in a really good place with that one which sort of just segued into a lot of other um areas that were under th under threat that I didn't know about and I don't think a lot of other surfers knew about either. Um, PEP 11, which is Petroleum Exploration Permit 11, which is uh, 4,500 square kilometres of coastline from Newcastle all the way down to uh, the Sydney Harbour, so like the Manly region. And there's currently um, Asset Energy is trying to... Uh, 
extend their license there in the area and um, reach out and do exploratory d- drilling. Uh, Surf Rider has been hugely backing that campaign. I'm sure everybody saw the paddle outs that happened throughout um, Newcastle, Central Coast, Sydney, and then another one up in Byron a few months ago. And stay tuned because they're about to launch um, another part of that campaign with some town halls. So if you are not aware of it, jump on over to the Surf Rider Foundation Australia Instagram account and read up on that and what's going on there and, and stay up to date. So I think that was another one that was just really close to my heart, obviously growing up in Newcastle. The thought of having oil wells out there or gas drilling out there was just too much to bear. So, um, yeah, jumped on board and tried to help as much as I possibly can. Um, And, you know, fast forward now to 2021, I've learned that there's this process with the government. It's an annual acreage release process where they literally open up huge swaths of ocean and... Um, you know, allow these companies to bid on them every year. It's an endless cycle. And at that stage of the process, there's really no consideration for environment, climate. Um, There's no traditional owner engagement. It's sort of just really like, who wants this? Great. We'll get to the other stuff, you know, next after you've already identified that you want to drill here. And that's, that's not okay. You know, not, not in 2021 when we're in a climate emergency, we need to be thinking of these things ahead of time and protecting, you know, our, our oceans as much as we can. And so um, the 2021 acreage release included seven giant areas in the Otway Basin, which is a stone's throw away from where I live now and a really prized um, and pristine surfing area. So um, Surface for Climate is working on a bit of a campaign to stop that as much as we can, try and get those seven acreages removed one of which I must mention is directly behind the 12 Apostles Marine Park. So it's a little bit outlandish. Yeah. And I want to obviously get to Surface for Climate, the organisation which you co-founded relatively recently in the whole scheme of your environmental journey. But maybe just go back a little bit to, to Fight for the Bite and acknowledging that people might be tuning into the podcast um, from around the world. So maybe sort of set the scene a little bit more around Australia. You could even go into a bit more context around our relationship with offshore oil and gas extraction. Um, and then obviously opening up this, this particular campaign that really hit a vein with Australians. And I think led by the surfing community um, and the ocean loving community, which is certainly the first time in my generation, maybe that and the super trawlers campaign that happened um, just before it, really ignited something special in the Australian surfing population and around the world, which um, is amazing. And and it's certainly being harnessed day to day with all those other campaigns that you mentioned. But yeah, maybe just go back a little bit more to fight for the bite and set the scene a little bit there. Yeah, I get ahead of myself. Um, I get buried (laughs) in this stuff. And so I love it. Sorry about that. That's Um, good. So the fight for the bite is um, oil. It was a proposed oil drilling site in the Great Australian Bight. Uh, in excessively deep and treacherous oceans. Um, The Roaring Forties ripped through there with, you know, such power and intensity, seeing just massive open ocean swells. Uh, There'd been a few companies prior, um, you know, I think it started, the fight started in about 2014 or 16 or something like that. Um, BP was the first company that sort of eyed off the area 
they pulled out. Chevron also um, was looking at the area. They pulled out. Um, and I'm sure there was a couple others that I'm forgetting. <laughs> but fast forward, we get up to Equinor, which is a, um, a Norwegian company um, over in Norway who were looking at oil drilling in the Great Australian Bight. They put in their environment plans. The spill modelling showed oil on beach, the potential to have oil on beaches from Albany in Western Australia, right around the southern coastline of Australia, up the east coast to Port Macquarie, stretching you know, over to Tasmania and even reaching some of the, some of the western shores of New Zealand. Um, and I think that spill modelling alone was enough to sort of ignite the entire Australian surf community, that there was no way we were going to risk our beautiful pristine coastline for, you know, oil drilling, a fuel that we don't need in 2021. Yeah, that's right. And I think this has been something which is obviously being harnessed now for these other emerging campaigns. Um, the big one around here, as you mentioned before, the PEP 11 uh, zone, the exploration license extends off the coast of where OIO is based in Manly. And, you know, the thought of having these areas, I grew up in this area just like you, Bindi, um, and the thought of having oil and gas wells out there extracting fossil fuels that, you know, to your point, you know, the world has still got a very thirsty hunger for oil and gas, but there's enough technologies now and enough opportunities in Australia that we need to be setting our sights on renewable energies and leaving the fossil fuels in the ground. So, yeah, just um, talking then a little bit about surface for climate. So, uh, you obviously weren't uh, quite satisfied with all your roles in being ambassadors for this and advocates for that and being supported by Patagonia. You you saw an opportunity to to start your own organisation and then you found the right co-founder to do it. Why don't you give us a little glimpse into um, the why and, and the how you set up Surface for Climate? Sure. Um, so co-founder of Surface for Climate is Johnny Abeg, who's an incredible, awesome, special human. Um, also a fellow goofy footer, I would like to add in. The, <laughs> we were on a, um, like a, I don't know, I guess a workshop type trip uh, up in Heron Island. The Climate Council was there presenting and uh, we just came back after that trip, both Johnny and I, with this new knowledge about how climate was really already affecting our oceans, our coastlines, our reefs, and, you know, in turn, our waves, um, and, and kind of learning more about, about the future threats that we face as surfers. Um, we both left the trip with the exact same idea, which was, hey, let's start, let's start an organisation that really focuses on, on this exact topic, which is surfing and climate. Um, Johnny rang me a couple of weeks into it and was like, so... I've been thinking like maybe we should maybe, you know, set up an organization, Surface for Climate. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the best idea because I just registered the name Surface for Climate Action, but yours is actually better and more succinct. So let's just go with that. So <laughs> we've been working together for the past year on, on SFC. Um, we're basically a sea roots movement dedicated to empowering and mobilizing surfers for positive climate action. Um, we kind of operate under, you know, really core values of inclusivity, inclusivity um, and respecting the country that we're on, 
all surfers and sort of loving and caring about one another and the earth. Um, we really want to focus on solution, solutions-based ideas um, and obviously stopping offshore fossil fuel exploration and not sort of disregarding the, the power of politics as well. So sort of jumping a little bit into that um, political world, which is a little bit out of my depth sometimes, but I'm so glad that I have a fantastic team that I'm working with that can guide me through it. Speaking of that team, I'm pretty excited to see that Joshua Kirkman, um, who has been really formative in helping OIO in the early days and a great old mate of mine, has joined the ranks. That's pretty exciting. Oh, Josh is absolutely incredible. I feel like since he's been with us the last couple of weeks, everyone's spirits are so much higher and we're pushing ahead at such a quicker pace. Um, I'm exceptionally unorganised, so... <laughs> Having Josh on t- on board just to not only share his knowledge and fill the holes, um, you know, in the, fill the holes and the gaps where you know we were maybe like struggling. He's he's really like helped out in just such an array of issues. It's like my heart goes out. So thankful, and and I've also surfed with Josh and watched him get bar- barreled. So um, I can't wait till we can meet up in real life and share a surf session together as well. <laughs> Yeah, and he doesn't mind uh, mixing up the craft either. He's very no. he's prowess on a bodyboard, he's body surfing, and then also stand-up. So he's uh, definitely an all-around legend, that one. Yeah. <laughs> While we're sure talking is. about Surface for Climate, like maybe just um, go into some of those call for actions um, for people that are listening in. Obviously, go to the website and you'll get really amazed with the great stuff you've got there and your social channels. But what are you really hoping and encouraging um, people that whether they're surfers or they're not surfers they just care about these issues what are you encouraging them to do so um, at the moment we have a few things up on our website uh, one of them is a wipe out your emissions campaign so really looking at our own um, emissions that we're creating from surfing our gear our um, travel even just our everyday trips to the beach um, respecting First Nations and and really making sure that we dive deep into that knowledge and have a greater understanding of that. So there's a section there and wipe out your emissions that has some great tips on all those things, including divesting your super and banking, which is a really, really powerful thing to do. Um, And uh, another thing that I've been buried in for the last, seems like years now, but I'm sure it's just a couple of months, <laughs> um, is working on this uh, Otway Basin gas issue. So there's a, a petition there called Flip, Flip the Bird at Fossil Fools. Um, would absolutely love if everybody's on this call can jump on and sign up. We have big plans and aspirations to try and kick new gas development out of the Otway Basin. Uh, and Josh, who... Um, I threw in completely in the deep end when he started working with us is currently working on a bit of a strategy for an election campaign. It might sound really boring to think politics, but um, we, we've got some, some great creatives in the works. So stay tuned for that with the general underlying message of, of voting for the climate, because you know, now more than ever, we need our politicians on board making decisions for us that, that will, will better, better everything for the future. Love it. Well, there's some calls for action for you, whether you're a, a surfer or not, you can go and add your, add your voice and certainly follow the journey of, of surfers for climate. Totally. So and I, I just like to add, I just like to add to that surfer, Tim, we consider at SFC anybody who's ridden the wave is a surfer. So 
no matter what you ride, whether it's a, a sup, a bodyboard, a shortboard, a longboard, and maybe you don't even ride anything at all and you just like body surf or swim or beach walk, you're one of us. So <laughs> I like it. So theoretically, you could go out into the ocean on a small day and just lift your feet up off the sand, let the wave push you just a little bit and you can label yourself a surfer. That's right. Yeah. As long <laughs> as you've got a smile on your... <laughs> If you've got a smile on your dial, then then, then we love you. Uh, that's yeah. great. Um, I want to sort of go back a little bit there because you, you opened a little bit of a window into thinking about innovation and particularly looking at the, at the surf industry. I know that some of the political figures who we have a bit of trouble with, um, they do love to pull out that card that here the surfers are, are trying to be all high and mighty, um, saying no to fossil fuel extraction, yet it's a, such a plasticized um, sport. So, yeah, where are you at when you start thinking about innovation and how we as surfers can really start to lead on showing that, look, we want to be proactive into better materials for a better future, but we're a little bit hamstrung while the giant petrochemical companies um, rule the roost, so to speak. So, yeah, where do you sort of sit on that and, and maybe a bit of a conversation about innovation and where that intersects with with OIO's mission totally well I think first and foremost our every days are still dependent on fossil fuels unfortunately um, if we want to live within the current constraints of society in, in an affordable manner um, whilst there are you know a lot of amazing alternatives that exist um, it's just a matter of like propping them up and into the mainstream so we don't any longer need to be dependent on fossil fuels and that goes with our everyday and also with surfing specifically um you know yourself there's some amazing technology that's being implemented in the surf industry patagonia obviously with the ulex wetsuits like that's just such a game changer like you're out there surfing now wrapped in tree sap which is absolutely <laughs> incredible very toasty um, in the process it is a toasty process and i've been to um the, the Ulex uh, rainforest in Sri Lanka where they get where they get the um, the rubber from and it's so incredible to like watch this tree literally get spiked all this sap come out they walk it up a hill with the factory mix it with some water and agitate it a bunch and then all of a sudden you have rubber and then that's your wetsuit like Amazing. we we no longer need to drill for this so that's incredible um, you know there's obviously a lot of alternatives with surfboard construction out there. Um, some of them may not be 100% perfect yet, but it's definitely a huge step in the right direction. And the more and more resources that we can put towards this, the better off we're going to be. And yeah, I think it's just a message, um, just to share a message to all surfers is that like these products exist go find them you know even even wax like there's two amazing wax companies here in australia um good surf wax and sticky pronk that are making uh sustainable surf wax that's you know made out of natural biodegradable products so you know there's so many alternatives now it's just a matter of stepping out of that mainstream and actually seeking these products out and that's why organizations like you, Tim, are so amazing to help a lot of these smaller startup companies, whether it be in surfing or in, you know, blue carbon world to sort of really succeed. Yeah. And tell me about it. I mean, I am just, I'm frothing as much as I froth when I'm ready to go for a, a pumping surf about the opportunities out there. And 
obviously we're on the on the front line receiving applications from startups and entrepreneurs and people that have just got great ideas and there's no shortage of them it really is back to sort of what i was saying before where we're in a bit of a hamstrung state where the status quo is just literally drenched and drowned in this cheap material which has such negative um consequences to it but you know you give humans a bit of an opportunity to use their ingenuity um and you find certain people who are early adopters who have the privilege and the means to support these innovators to let their ideas come to life, then the market will most certainly adopt them because, you know, most people out there, if there's an option to vote with your wallet and cause less harm to people on the planet, they will take that as long as it's not cost prohibitive. No one wants to be doing bad in this day and age. Yeah, I would agree. And yeah, I think it's just so important that organizations like OAO are, are providing these small startups with an opportunity to go big, which is incredible and it's what we need. So, you know, from you to the consumers out there, let's get behind them and make it succeed. Yeah, and on that, I mean, you'll be listening to this podcast if, um, you know, you tune in when we release it. Uh, with PitchFest being live, it launches on the 10th of August and runs to the 21st of September. So $50,000 cash prize for the winner this year which is a pretty big step up from our first year of running the pitch fest and so we just can't wait to see all the incredible innovations that come in from across planet ocean um, who all i think are united in wanting to ensure the ocean remains healthy and abundant or at least is restored because it's in a pretty bad state at the moment so bindi back over to you we're probably going to wrap up the podcast pretty soon but um how about, yeah, just some sort of closing words or some thoughts that you wanted to get to today that you didn't have a chance to talk about as yet? Oh, I think you pretty much covered most of it. But um, I guess I just echo your last sentiment, which is, you know, everybody out there wants to protect the ocean now. Why wouldn't we? So let's work together, unite, you know, together we're stronger, um, act local, think global um, as much as we possibly can. If you go to the beach every day, protecting that that one specific beach or area of coastline is now our responsibility. So let's all work together to, to do as much as we possibly can. Yeah, I love it. Well, Belinda Bags, um, I've loved being, having you as a friend and as a fellow activist as we do our little part on this big planet ocean. Um, so yeah, I thank you so much for all that you do and wish you the best of luck with all your great work with Surface for Climate and beyond. Um, and thanks for tuning in today, everyone. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, OIO. <laughs> thanks, everyone.